DiscerningHearts.com presents a Lord of the Rings spiritual retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University and has dedicated many years of extensive ministry to retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching on the spiritual life. He's also the author of several books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is also featured in several series produced by EWTN, including Living the Discerning Life. A Lord of the Rings spiritual retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. In our previous conversation, we had just begun to speak of the character of Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. What else can we take away from this incredible literary figure? Well, I think the best way to answer that, Chris, is simply to let Tolkien continue to unfold the story. So let's just return to where we were last time. And Gandalf, who is the wisdom figure here, tells Frodo that by a design that is beyond anything the ringmaker himself, Sauron, ever intended, by someone else's design, someone with a capital S, you, Frodo, were meant to have it, and that's an encouraging thought. Now, like us, Frodo's immediate response is, no, that is not uh, encouraging at all, because obviously everything in him would desire to be free from the responsibility that he realizes is uh, beginning to fall upon him. And he discusses with Gandalf, as we often do in similar situations, other options. Aren't there easier ways? Isn't there any way? Can't we simply cast the ring into the fire and destroy it? And Gandalf has Frodo make the try, and of course the ring is unharmed. And as Gandalf goes through the various possibilities for unmaking or destroying the ring, none of them would work anymore. There's only one way, Gandalf says, there is only one way. To find the cracks of doom in the depths of Araruan, the fire mountain, Mount Doom, and to cast the ring in there. So this is the point where Frodo learns that there isn't any easy way. And that if he is going to accept what is emerging as his call within God's providence, that he's going to have to be willing to embrace what will be the harder way. But Frodo responds And now this is not always the case in our life. Obviously, in God's providence, sometimes the things that God asks of us are simply a delight, and we love them. And there's great grace and blessing and fruitfulness in that. And we um, gratefully thank God for such tasks or um, the call to marriage, to have children, and so on, particular kind of work in the world. But there are situations in which we face what Frodo faces here, and that is when there is no easy way. And in fact, the only way is the hardest way. When the doctor's report tells us that the biopsy came back positive, for example, and all that that's going to mean, or very difficult financial situations which require very difficult choices if we're going to maintain our integrity, and other situations that we can think of uh, in life. And so Frodo says to, to Gandalf, I do really wish to destroy it, the ring, or well, to have it destroyed. I am not made for perilous quests. Now, how often have we said this when we, 
when we see the, the call of the Lord before us and we begin to glimpse some of the difficulties that may be involved. I am not made for perilous quests. I'm just a small, simple, ordinary person, that's all. I wish I had never seen the ring. And then here's the question that we often ask too. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? And so when a child really struggles and goes through serious difficulties of health or emotional uh, difficulties or problems, or when we undergo difficult situations of health or are called to shoulder very difficult responsibilities, there are the questions there. Uh, I wish I had never seen the ring. Why did it come to me? Why was I chosen? And Gandalf answers Frodo, such questions cannot be answered. It's really only in faith. Such questions cannot be answered, said Gandalf. And then says this, you may be sure that you were chosen, that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, not for power or wisdom or at any rate. But you have been chosen, and you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. Now these are packed statements. Um, if you were chosen, and Frodo for this task, or if you, being any one of us, was chosen for this role in the family or in the world or in the church, you may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not, but not because you were somehow special, that you had a power or a wisdom that others don't have. And you see this all the way through the scriptures. When Gideon is chosen in the book of Judges to lead God's people against the foe, he says to the angel of the Lord who declares this to him that my clan is the weakest and I'm the least in my family. I, I'm too small for this. And when Peter sees the catch of fish in the boat in Luke 5 and the boat is filled to swamping and realizes now that through the sign of the fish that the divine has come close to him in Jesus on his knees at Jesus' feet in the boat and says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I, I'm, I'm too small. I'm not good enough. I can't be a part of a task of this kind. And even more explicitly, if we look at the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, verses 26 through 29, which I'll read, this applies to all of us in our call to be disciples of Christ and live our respective vocations. Consider your call, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. If you look at the first Christians, simple fishermen, simple people, they were not the lords of the world. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is always the way God works. And I think this is an enormously comforting thought for us because so often, if we look at the situation in the world around us and look at situations in our own lives and families and work world and, as I say, service in the church, we feel like Frodo. Uh, I'm too small for this, or, or Gideon, or Peter. And the answer is yes. Humanly speaking, you are too small. You weren't chosen because you have a certain power or wisdom that is beyond what others have. 
But this is the way God works. God chooses what is small, what is foolish, uh, what is weak in the world, Paul says, to bring about great works in the world. It's like Mary, this humble young girl from Nazareth being chosen to have such a world-changing role, or Peter the fisherman and so many others. And then Gandalf, as I read, goes on to say to Frodo, but you have been chosen. You must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have, which is another striking thing. That's our call. Not to focus on the strength and the wisdom and the experience and the abilities that we don't have, but to know that God chose us consciously and willed that we have this particular vocation, that we live and serve in these circumstances. And the call, therefore, as Gandalf says to Frodo, is to use such strength and heart and wits as you have. Now, Frodo assumes that he's going to be alone in this, but there's something else at work in this. And now, said the wizard, turning back to Frodo, the decision lies with you, but I will always help you. He laid his hand on Frodo's shoulder. I will help you bear this burden as long as it is yours to bear. Now, here are two things in juxtaposition, the same two things that are there in our own lives together. The decision lies with you. Frodo is completely free. There is no force. Uh, There is no obligation. He is utterly free to decide that he doesn't have the power and the wisdom and the strength and the ability to take up the task of the destruction of the ring. And if he does choose not to carry the ring, his choice will be respected. So on the one hand, as we face the choice of living our vocation in marriage or as parents or as priests or religious or in the single condition loving and serving in the church in the world, we are always free to make that choice. God absolutely always respects our freedom and will never coerce us. But at the same time, we're not alone. And, and Gandalf is the figure, to use the theological term of grace here, which Tolkien actually uses. We'll look at this in the letters. But I will always help you. The decision lies with you, but I will always help you. I will help you bear this burden as long as it is yours to bear. Who is Gandalf? How does he come into the story? Gandalf is one of the, the wizards. And at a certain point, as in uh, we're in the third age in the Lord of the Rings, it's roughly around the year 3000 in the third age. 2000 years earlier, as Sauron was beginning to rise again and threatening the dominion of the world, the, the Valar, who in pagan terms would be the gods, but in Tolkien's Christian understanding of mythology, are similar to angels. That's the best parallel that we could have for them in our Christian understanding of the world. And Tolkien does use that word angel of the uh, the wizards. Um, God has, in his providence, after creating the world, has placed it in the care of the Valar, who would be the highest order of these angelical figures, or to use the, the, the earlier term, would be the gods with a small g. And there is a lesser order of these angelic figures, still mighty and, and, uh, and of great nobility and goodness, called the Maiar. 
And Gandalf is one of the Maiar, so he's of this particular order in Christian terms of the angels. Now, as the Valar see with concern that Sauron is rising in great power and threatening the dominion of the world of Middle-earth, they decide to send into the world a number of these Maiar who are the wizards. That's what the wizards really are. They come from the blessed realm where the Valar live, and they are sent by the Valar into the world to guide and strengthen and encourage the good in the coming struggle against the evil of Sauron. And five of them are sent into the world. Gandalf is one of them. Uh, We do hear the names of some others. Saruman is another of these wizards, but who will betray the task that he has given and desire power for himself and world dominion for himself. Because the, the wizards are of the same order as Sauron. Sauron himself is one of the Maiar. So that if they choose, if they turn to evil, they could threaten to take the place of Sauron. And that actually becomes Saruman's project when he betrays the reason why he's sent into the world. Another one is Radagast, whom we see very briefly. And he also somewhat turns aside from the task that he's been given. He falls in love with the the living things in the world, the birds and the animals, and dedicates himself to them so that he has almost no practical role in the defense of the world against Sauron, and two others of whom almost nothing is said, who apparently journey off into the east and are lost, whether they continue in some forgotten geographical setting to try to defeat Sauron, whether they turn to evil, none of that is explained. So that of the five wizards who are sent into the world, the one who remains faithful is Gandalf, and he becomes the chief foe of Sauron in the world. As you see, as you read The Lord of the Rings, Gandalf does not, uh, in the movie, but this is different from the book, you see Gandalf with a sword fighting battles. Gandalf is not there to himself fight battles against Sauron. His task is, it's the angelic task, to encourage the good, to unite them, to awaken them to the truth of the situation they face, to awaken hope that they can defeat the enemy and to guide them along the way, which is Gandalf's task. So that Gandalf really here is a figure of God's grace, an angelic figure who is an image of God's grace strengthening the good as they say yes to the task that in God's providence they're called to undertake. And so that's this is what Gandalf is, is telling Frodo here. The decision is really yours as it is ours, but you'll never be alone. In Christian terms, God's grace will always be with you. And as he tells Frodo, as long as you bear this burden, I'll be there to help you. As long as we say yes to whatever call God has given us, God's grace is always going to be there with us. We'll return to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John S. of Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcast, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. 
A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. An easy way to help discerning hearts is to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our Instagram and Facebook pages are vibrant spaces where you can engage with daily inspirational quotes from the saints, streaming DH broadcast encounters, and updates about our latest offerings. On our YouTube channel, you'll find a treasure trove of video podcasts, interviews, guided meditations and prayers, and reflections from renowned spiritual leaders. These resources are carefully curated to provide guidance, wisdom, and insights that can help you discern life's challenges with a sense of purpose and peace. By subscribing, following, and engaging with Discerning Hearts on these platforms, you're not only enriching your own spiritual journey, but also helping to spread awareness of our mission. Every like, share, and comment helps us reach more people who are seeking meaningful growth and connection. So, please take a moment to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, and then share with a friend. Join the Discerning Hearts community and embark on a transformative spiritual journey alongside fellow seekers. Your engagement not only benefits you, but also contributes to the growth and impact of Discerning Hearts. We now return to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. When we're taking a look at Frodo, what we need to understand Gandalf's role in this, in the story, we also see the importance of how we help one another. The choices that we make, if if it's in response to that obedience, to that calling, it can have that ripple effect as well, can it? I mean, if Gandalf hadn't responded faithfully, unlike the others who made other choices, then this whole series of events in this particular story would have turned out differently. Very differently. And you see it in both ways in The Lord of the Rings. You have Gandalf who remains faithful and whose fidelity is really the key piece in what brings the good together and unites them, uh, creates a fellowship of the ring, brings the peoples together could go through this, enlists to defeat Sauron, awakens the energies of Rohan when he awakens hope again in King Theoden, and so on. All of these different things, yes. And you see it from the other side, too. When someone like Saruman, who was the head, actually, of the wizards, the head of the White Council, betrays the cause and does great damage. If Sauron, if Saruman had remained faithful, the cause uh, of the of the good against Sauron would have been so much easier. The only reason why Sauron was able to grow in such power and the, the good did not turn to defeat him before he was able to develop his power and his armies in, in such overwhelming force, because of uh, Saruman's betrayal, he urged the White Council to do nothing because his hope was that he himself would attain the ring and in so doing allowed... Sauron's power to grow to the magnitude that we see in the Lord of the Rings. So it works both ways. The, the fidelity of the hobbits 
fidelity of all of those in the fellowship of the Lord of the Ring. And I'm going to include Boromir, even though he goes through a severe temptation to try to take the ring by force from Frodo, but he repents. It's that fidelity and the friendship that binds them that finally sees the task through to its, its successful end. And those who turn away do grave harm to, to the cause. So yes, the decisions that any of us make, even in our apparently hidden and quiet fidelity, make all the difference taken together in working the, the salvation of individuals and of the world. Now, another way to say that is that Jesus founded a church. He doesn't intend and doesn't bring, intend to bring us to salvation and eternal life as isolated individuals, but we're intended very much to strengthen and help each other. And we experience that. You know, when good people come together, I, I see this a, a lot. You know, if, as I give talks in different places, Sometimes you get a few hundred people together. And apart from anything that may be said or any events that are a part of it, just the being together is enormously strengthening. So yes, we we are very much intended to be a source of strength, a source of God's grace for each other on the spiritual journey. So Frodo hears this from Gandalf that the choice is his and a silence ensues. Tolkien writes, Frodo gazed fixedly at the red embers on the hearth until they filled all his vision, and he seemed to be looking down into profound wells of fire. He was thinking of the fabled cracks of doom and the terror of the fiery mountain. Well, said Gandalf at last, what are you thinking about? What have you decided to do? No, answered Frodo, coming back to himself out of darkness and finding to his surprise that it was not dark and that out of the window he could see the sunlit garden. And so these are the moments when we look at the situation into which God has called us and the responsibilities that God has called us to carry. And we look into the fire, as it were, into the darkness, as Frodo does, and everything seems dark. And then Grace speaks, Gandalf speaks, and Frodo realizes to his surprise that it is not dark and that the sun is still shining. Frodo answers him, no, answered Frodo, or perhaps yes. As far as I understand what you have said, I suppose I must keep the ring and guard it, at least for the present, whatever it may do to me. So that Frodo is willing to at least do this, to carry the ring, to keep the ring, even though it may work some harm possibly on him. But Gandalf answers, whatever it may do, it will be slow to evil if you keep it with that purpose. I hope so, said Frodo, but I hope that you may find some other better keeper soon. If only you'd give this task to someone else, Lord. But in the meantime, it seems to me that I am a danger, a danger to all that live near me. I cannot keep the ring and stay here. I ought to leave Bag End, leave the Shire, leave everything and go away. And Frodo begins to realize now something that may at times happen to us on the spiritual journey when we perceive God's call. And it means that we have to do something like what the first disciples did. They had to leave things to follow the Lord, leave things behind and places behind that they've loved in order to say yes to the Lord's call. And Frodo is beginning to realize this here at this point. This would mean exile, a flight from danger into danger, drawing it after me. And I suppose I must go alone. And as Frodo will discover that that's not going to be the case, 
uh, it's not, he's not going to be alone with this burden. When eventually he does set out, he'll set out with Sam and Pippin, later with Mary and later on the fellowship of the ring. He will not be alone on the task. I, I suppose I must go alone if I am to do that and save the Shire. But I feel very small and very uprooted and, well, desperate. The enemy is so strong and so terrible. Now, let me read a little bit more of what follows in this, because something that even Gandalf never foresaw takes place at this point. So that Frodo is heavily burdened by the magnitude of the task, of the danger, of his own sense of smallness and inability to do this, and all of he, he is doing his best to say yes to this, but there's a deep heaviness and darkness and burden in his heart. But then this follows. He did not tell Gandalf, but as he was speaking, a great desire to follow Bilbo flamed up in his heart. To follow Bilbo, and even perhaps to find him again, it was so strong that it overcame his fear. You can just feel the grace working in this. He could almost have run out there and then down the road without his hat, as Bilbo had done on a similar morning long ago. And then Gandalf says this, and this is central to everything in The Lord of the Rings and our own journey. My dear Frodo, exclaimed Gandalf, hobbits really are amazing creatures. Hobbits really are amazing creatures. That's every one of us. As I have said before, you can learn all that there is to know about their ways in a month, and yet after a hundred years they can still surprise you at a pinch. I hardly expected to get such an answer, not even from you. But Bilbo made no mistake in choosing his heir. Now, let's look at a few things about hobbits. Who are hobbits? Well, as we see Gandalf says here, hobbits are amazing creatures. But let's go back to the prologue in The Lord of the Rings, where he describes the, the hobbits and how they, they love meals and they live in, a, in peace and, and so on. But he writes this too. Nonetheless, Ease and peace had left this people still curiously tough. They were, if it came to it, difficult to daunt or to kill. And they were, perhaps, so unwearyingly fond of good things, not least because they could, when put to it, do without them, and could survive rough handling by grief, foe, or weather, in a way that astonished those who did not know them well, and looked no further than their bellies and their well-fed faces. Though slow to quarrel, and for sport killing nothing that lived, they were dotty at bay, and at need could still handle arms. There's a kind of a toughness in the simplicity of the hobbits. And this is something that um, Tolkien describes also in the letters. I'm just going to read a very brief quotation from one of his letters, in which he returns to the same theme. He says, The hobbits are made small, little more than half human stature, partly to exhibit, so this is a literary device, their small physical stature as halflings, which means they're roughly half the height of human beings. So hobbits would be roughly three feet, the most tall might get close to four feet. And the reason why Tolkien makes them small is this, they are made small, partly to exhibit the pettiness of man, plain, unimaginative, parochial man. So for example, Sam who has no wider experience of the world, no real education, whose world is limited to his immediate relationships and his gardening. Uh, so that, that's one reason why the hobbits are made physically small. 
But then Tolkien goes on to say, and mostly to show up in creatures of very small physical power, the amazing and unexpected heroism of ordinary men, in quotes, at a pinch. Now that quality of, of, of hobbits is central to Tolkien's understanding of them. Loving a quiet life, loving peaceful situations, enjoying their meals, but in a pinch, capable of an amazing and unexpected heroism. And that's what Gandalf is remarking in Frodo at this point, as the call becomes clear to him. Hobbits really are amazing creatures. And we are. With God's grace and what God has built into us and the humanity he has given us, we are capable of much more than we would ever dream. It may call upon us to become heroic in ordinary circumstances, to be the amazing creatures that he has called us to be. As we continue to take this journey, I think we're discovering that we're learning not just about the, the wonderful characters of the book, but we're learning a lot about ourselves, aren't we, Father Gallagher? It's all there in the rich applicability of The Lord of the Rings. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher.